Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. This week we are joined by Lawrence Frank and Evan Turner. Let's go. This episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick is brought to you by SoFi, a new kind of finance company that wants to help you to succeed. Whether you're an NBA player or someone who underhands free throws, we all have to make tough financial decisions. SoFi can help you make smarter ones, like refinancing your student loans, which saves members on average $19,000. Pro athlete or not, nobody wants to pay more than they have to. Learn more at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SoFi.com slash legal. Yahoo Sports presents the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. Powered by digital media. Find your voice. And now, your host, J.J. Reddick. Welcome to this week's episode of the Vertical Podcast. I'm J.J. Reddick. Thank you for listening, and I appreciate your patience. Normally, my podcast comes out on a Monday. I'm a few days late. I vacationed last weekend for my birthday and my wedding anniversary, so I was set to record on Monday, and we had a couple scheduling issues with my originally intentioned guest, but with a lot of stuff going on in the NBA, uh, we have two great guests this week, Lawrence Frank, who was just named the executive vice president of the Los Angeles Clippers front office, and Evan Turner, who just finished uh, his second season with the Boston Celtics and is a free agent. The free agent period begins on July 1st, tomorrow. It's going to be an exciting time for the NBA. It's going to be an even more exciting time for NBA Twitter, which NBA Twitter, if you're not familiar with, it's one of the greatest things ever. Speaking of NBA Twitter, I have to share one story before we get to this week's guest. Last week during the draft, I was grilling out in my backyard with some family members and my son and my phone rang and we weren't really paying attention to the draft. I think it was like middle of the first round when my phone rang and I wasn't really paying attention to Twitter either. So I didn't really know what was going on in the draft, but I looked at my phone and it said, doc, never a good sign when your coach and your GM is calling you in the middle of the first round of the NBA draft. So he got on the phone and and I hey doc is everything okay? He said, "Man, your your trade value has really plummeted." I had no idea what he was talking about, but he explained to me that there was a fake Mark Stein account on Twitter, Mark Stein the ESPN reporter. And this fake account had tweeted out that the Memphis Grizzlies had traded Brandon Wright in a first round pick for me and that I was headed to Memphis. So Doc had a good laugh and Everyone in the room, including Lawrence Frank, had a good laugh about it at my expense. So thank you. I went on my Twitter account and immediately you know, looked at my mentions and all these people were saying that I was going to Memphis. Good luck in Memphis. Oh no, the Clippers just traded JJ to Memphis. But it didn't happen. But again, that's one of the great things about NBA Twitter. My advice to everyone, if you follow the NBA on Twitter and you follow writers and you follow players on Twitter, look for the blue check. Always look for the blue check. Do not retweet or reply until you have verified. That's my advice. All right, let's get to this week's guest. We are now joined by Lawrence Frank. Lawrence has been one of my coaches for the last two years with the Los Angeles Clippers. 
Lawrence, thanks for coming on the show. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So you are unequivocally one of the biggest supporters of this podcast. I would say you've listened to damn near every episode. Most of the time when I see you running on the treadmill over here in the weight room, uh, you've got your earbuds in your in your ear and you're actually listening to my podcast. Do you have a favorite episode? You know, it's hard because I would not want to insult some of the fine guests you've got. And you've gotten some high-level guys. But as I've told you, you are the only person I know who has a podcast that's talked about on national TV in a game that you're not even playing in. So it's a huge compliment to you, not just as a player, but as your podcast ability. Uh, thank you. You know, it's funny. I, I was catching up with some mail yesterday, and uh, I got a happy birthday card <clears throat> from my parents. And um, my oh, mom, happy birthday, by the <laughs> way. You, yeah. But my mom said something like, uh, we're just so proud of the man, the husband and podcaster that you are. <laughs> I don't know if they were being serious or not, if it was tongue in cheek, but I really appreciated that. You, you actually, funny story, when I first started the podcast, <clears throat> you attempted to get a guest for me. It was a pretty big name, a guy that you have a relationship with. Uh, it was Chris Rock. The only problem was is that he was hosting the Oscars that week, so he was kind of busy. And a little scheduling conflict, but we're still not going to give up hope. And Chris, if you're listening, you need to be on this show. I, I would love to have him on. I think everybody listening would love to hear uh, Chris Rock on the show. News of the day for the Clippers. Are you familiar with a Woj bomb? Yeah, you know, I, I, I grew up with the Woj bomb. Yeah, yeah. So you know about it. So this is news to a lot of people, but for anybody who's been around the practice facility over the last couple of weeks. We're all kind of aware of this, but you will be moving uh, from the bench upstairs to the front office. Your official title is the executive vice president of basketball operations. Talk a little bit about that move and, and why you're doing it now. Yeah. Well, for me is I just made hundreds of players that I've coached so happy because they no longer have to listen to me. So there's great joy in the, in the players community. For the last four years, I've always kind of had my eye at some point transitioning into the front office. It's something that I'm very passionate about, being part of a, a group of building a team. And it was just perfect timing. The opportunity presented itself with Doc and Steve. Uh, you have an owner who wants to be best in class in everything he's doing. You have a coach who's also the president of basketball operations who's all about first class. So it just seemed like the perfect opportunity, the perfect timing, and extremely excited about joining the front office staff. No, it's definitely exciting. And, you know, if you were going to leave the bench, we're, we're obviously happy to have you upstairs and, and still with our group. I'm curious in terms of, you know, why you wanted to do this. Was it the schedule, the, the travel that was wearing on you? Um, did you want to spend more time with family? Uh, was it a new challenge? Like, what was sort of the, the reason behind it? Yeah, you know, I didn't really have an ambition of being a head coach again. I love yeah. being an assistant. I love working with you guys. We have a great staff, so I enjoyed that. But it was more just kind of the challenge of learning the other side of the business. And I was lucky. When I was the coach of the Nets, every day I would, at the end of the day, I'd spend with Rod Thorne, and I would just pick his brain. Yeah. And, you know, Rod's a guy who's been in the league for, seems like, 100 years, maybe a little bit less than that. But just kind of how the league's evolved, and then with all the new dynamics involved. And, and it's not just from putting together a team player-wise, but also from 
a sports performance and mental performance and all the different support that you can bring into your organization in order to give your players the best opportunity to have a chance to win a championship. So for me, I'd say it's more passion. Now, the one thing is people, I always used to joke with the people in front office, I'd say, oh, I'd love to have your job. It'd give me so much more flexibility. What I'm really realizing is I was totally in the dark. As my wife can attest to New Jersey, she goes, you're even less available now. Um, But ultimately, once I settle into the position, I think over the long term, it does give you a little bit more flexibility. But for me, the primary reason was just being passionate about learning the other side of the business. Seems like it's a good time to sort of be getting into this position, uh, given where the league's headed. There's such an emphasis now on uh, the technology, the analytics, and by all accounts, we have an owner who's sort of willing to invest uh, in those things. Can you talk a little bit about sort of some of the ideas early on that you and Steve have have bounced off each other? Yeah, without a doubt. Steve's in total agreement. We want to be best in practices. And so whether it's learning from other organizations, whether it's in sports or out of sports, but we want to attract the best. And the first thing is we want to take care of our people first. And that starts with the players, the number one priority. Then it's the people who surround the players. We want to make sure that we're rewarding those A-type people. And if there's certain areas that we only have one foot in and we want to jump totally in, you know, Steve is great because he's totally committed to paying for excellence. And the yeah. same thing. And it starts again with the players to then outside. So to me, is it's a great opportunity to be part of that process and to be able to say, hey, look, we're going to surround you as a player, right, with the best possible people in their specialty. And so the vision is to build kind of a front office cabinet where you have these experts in different fields in order to support our players to give them every advantage they can have. Sounds like a collaborative effort. One of the things that has really struck me over the course of the past two years in in our relationship uh, and being around you is your ability to ask questions. And not many people, I think, understand that that's a strength. And it sounds like Steve, I know, because I've been around him enough now where he asks a ton of questions and wants to know things, but it sounds like that'll be one of your greatest strengths in a front office position. Yeah, and look, maybe I've been blessed because I have such a low IQ that I have to <laughs> ask questions because I have no clue half the time. No, but you know what I mean. Yeah, no, yeah. well, look, um, the I have a very curious mind, yeah. and uh, it's you, you're always looking to learn. And mm-hmm. for me is the opportunity, you know, I pick your brain all the time, our other players' brain as well, because you're just trying to learn. And whether it's learning more about you as a person or you as a, you know, a father, a son, whatever the case may be, uh, it just gives me greater insight in helping me. Uh, so that's what I love about this, especially because, look, I just made the jump like a week ago, <laughs> yeah. and it's like drinking water out of a fire hydrant. Yeah. But that's what kind of drives you. It's it's kind of great to be in the action. And But, you know, I, I have a curious mind. I want to learn, want to grow, and I want to be around people who continue continuously flood me with information. You're obviously uh, coming on board to this thing at a, at a pretty important time. The draft was last week. Free agency starts, I guess, tomorrow. And uh, for a Clippers fan who, or an NBA fan who's listening to this podcast, in, in a very basic way, can you just sort of explain 
the specifics of the challenges that the Clippers are facing in free agency in regards to the cap, in regards to sort of who we have under contract, what's available out there. You don't have to talk about specific names, of course, but just in terms of the challenges the Clippers are facing in this free agency period. Yeah, I think, you know, first with the draft and you know, just the infrastructure, just with the fans, especially since I'm just making this transition, is we have a great general manager in Dave Wool. So he's like run point with the draft, with free agency, and he's worked the entire year year and you know as an organization you're always looking not just at the present but the future and the cap with the explosion I think there's going to be a new normal and there's definitely going to be sticker shock Uh, (laughs) and and I think that's you know and it's going to be interesting because there's so much money available it hasn't been like this never in the history of the league have so many teams have 10 plus million dollars in their cap so there are players that may get paid thirty million, and a normal fan say thirty million dollars. But and I think that's kind of going to be the new reality of it. And yeah. then next year, there's even a bigger jump. Yeah. So I, I think it's fascinating because really, regardless of what a player's paid, it's okay. How much does he impact winning, and what value you put on it? Uh, with us, because we're in a situation where we don't have as much money to spend. Uh, under the cap as other teams, it, it will be we're going to – our number one goal is let's retain our team. We want continuity. Let's bring back the gang. Mm-hmm. We felt if we were healthy um, that we would have had as good a shot as anyone of competing for a championship. And, and you know firsthand because of your contributions that if we ever were whole with the group we had, we were a high-character group uh, that enjoyed being around each other, that was competitive, that was team first. So that's kind of our mission is to bring back the group. And I'd be fine with that. We we had a good group, and I would love to have uh, seen what our group could have done at full strength. Uh, in regards to the numbers uh, that guys are going to sign for, you mentioned value. And I think in a very simplistic way, the easiest way to explain it would be if the cap last year was 70 and the average center got X percentage of the cap, then you can just multiply that number by one oh you know ninety four this year and one ten next year I guess whatever the cap may be and just kind of plug in those numbers and that's generally speaking a starting point for say a starting center or a starting shooting guard and of course the maxes are all tied to the the cap number as well so that's a, that's a sort of an easy way of explaining it I guess yeah and I would think that's you know that's going to be the push and pull between you know a negotiated contract because I think especially from an agent standpoint you're, it's everything's going to be relative. And yeah. but I think this is that just from doing some due diligence, there's a lot of unknowns, both on the player agent side and the team side, because no one quite knows. I mean, a max player is pretty easy to figure out, yeah. but I think there's going to be a lot. There are a lot of really talented players where I think there's such a wide range. And just talking to people who have done this a long time, normally the range would be, okay, he's a 6 to $8 million player. Never have you ever seen, oh, he's between 6 and $20 million. I mean, that, that's a pretty wide gap. Yeah. So uh, I think it's going to be very interesting. Yeah. We're going to move on a little bit uh, now to uh, another news story, not having to do with the NBA, but staying in basketball. And that's the, the passing of Pat Summit, uh, the great women's basketball coach at the University of Tennessee. Um, before I, I get your thoughts on it, I grew up in Virginia, but I was born in Tennessee. I only started playing basketball because my older twin sister started playing basketball. And uh, I was always a big UT fan and a big Pat Summit fan. I can remember growing up and watching all those teams 
in the '90s that were just amazing, and their their rivalry with UConn. And it's funny. I I read an article or I, I saw something on Sports Center, and they they said something along the lines of when you think of the word coach, you know who pops in your head. And for me, and any player, you obviously think of your the favorite coaches you played for. And for me, it's probably Coach K. You know, I, I think of Coach K when I think of the word coach. But the other person, and it really struck me yesterday, like the other person is Pat Summit. Wow. And and she meant so much, not just to the University of Tennessee, but to women's basketball in in, a, in an amazing transition period in terms of the popularity of the sport. Just an icon, basically. And I know that you had a relationship with her from your time at the University of Tennessee. Can you just talk about that? Yeah, of course. So I was with Coach Summit from 1994 to 97. I was an assistant for the men's basketball team. And you said it. She is like a global icon. Yeah. And just think about this. From 1976 to 2011, if you played for and you stayed four years, you played in at least one Final Four. Yeah. I mean, that's unbelievable. And she's like the John Wooden of women's basketball. And I'd say for all your listeners, the article Sally Jenkins wrote in the Washington Post, I believe, yesterday was off the charts because Sally's done three books with Coach, so they're best friends. And for her to be able to put it in words, what Coach Summit, who she was and what she meant, and then she took a letter from a player that Coach Summit wrote in 1982. It was this player's first game as a Lady Vol. I mean, you just get a glimpse of who she is. And look, I knew her when I was 24 to 27, you know, a little pissant, <laughs> thinking, I, thinking I knew something. Yeah. And the thing that was amazing about her, her humility. So her program had won championships, multiple championships up to that point. I think she finished with eight. And yet the first thing she did when Kevin O'Neill, the head coach, was hired, she said, Kevin, we'll be second fiddle to you. Now, they were selling out. We had like 15 fans, okay? (laughs) But she said, you want to practice at three, we'll practice at one. You want to practice at one, we'll practice at three. She would sit down in her meetings, and she would ask questions. So the humility of one of the greatest coaches of all time, it, it was great, just life lessons. As a young coach, she really helped shape me because no one was more competitive. I think she was the first woman's coach that had men practicing against the girls. And, I mean, she would get after her girls. And (laughs) her coaching, her flexibility, like people maybe on the outside say, oh, she's maybe rigid and you see that fire in her. Yet to win one of her championships, they ran the triangle. She had never run the triangle before, but she felt it fit her person. And she Uh, would come into her office and we'd be reading Tex Winter's triple post <laughs> offense book. Oh, but just, it just the competitiveness and yet the humility, the class. Uh, I mean, look, it, it goes without saying, but just a transcendent person and the impact she's had on so many people. We She gave me my first crab bake. I went over <laughs> out, she had a crab, you know, so uh, uh, an unbelievable human being and, and someone who, although will be missed, her legacy will live on forever. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. Lawrence, hang tight for one second. As you know, the NBA just held their draft, and I'm sure a lot of guys are thinking about their careers. After all, the draft is a job fair, and everyone wants the best opportunity that they can get. SoFi helps people save money by refinancing their student loans at lower rates. Members also get perks like one on one career coaching. Everybody wants more from their career, NBA or otherwise. 
Learn more at SOFI.com. Terms and conditions apply at SOFI.com slash legal. All right, back to Lawrence. I'm curious because you've been around uh, a lot of great coaches, uh, iconic coaches. How was your own coaching style influenced by by those people, Coach Summit, Coach Knight? Was it one specific thing or did you just figure out, this is who I am, let me let me bite a little bit here and there off? Yeah, I think for me is, look, you're influenced by everyone you're around. And first, you know, just your background. So for me, it always started with my parents and my two brothers. Um, from Coach Knight, uh, again, you're, I always say I wish I was 45 going back when I was a marriage yeah, coach night yeah. because I would have had just so much more depth of knowledge than an 18 year old, <laughs> you know, he thought I was a Jersey shore pimp, yeah. the, uh, but I, I learned a work ethic. I learned about trustworthiness, reliability, and sincerity. Like those are like four cornerstones. And the thing from a coaching standpoint that was fascinating to me was his ability to take the hole and break it down. And regardless of who he played, it was just watching a genius go to work. And uh, so that always stuck with me, that take the hole, go to part, back to the hole. Um, and then obviously all my track, Kevin O'Neill is an outstanding defensive coach. And then in the NBA, being around Brian Hill and Lionel Hollins, uh, Byron Scott, the staffs that we had, Doc. And the thing that a lot of times you're influenced is your staff. Your assistant coaches have such an impact on you. But... So in terms of a style, look, uh, I wish I was a quarter of the coach that Coach Knight was. Uh, I mean, I, I think if I, I said that I learned a lot from him, he may sue me, saying, <laughs> yeah. wait a minute, what'd you learn? Uh, but I, but I, I've been impacted by so many people, yeah. and most importantly, and as you know, on this level, your players, they have your greatest impact. Yeah. And uh, I've been fortunate to, to have been around some really, really special guys uh, that that that's why you love to coach is is the relationships and bond you feel with with the guys you're coaching with quick story i may have told you this before but uh every time i have an out-of-town guest or a family member who who maybe doesn't come out to california all, all that often they come to our games uh I, chelsea has seats like right behind our bench third row or whatever and inevitably after the game I get this question. Who, who's the short white guy on the bench that's always standing up and yelling at everyone? <laughs> and, 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 and I'm like, you, it's Lawrence Frank. Yeah, right? Either that or it's the mascot. <laughs> Many times I get confused for both. The uh, yeah, the, the feistiness has got to come from somewhere, though. Uh, well, look, the I, was, I was the youngest. I had two older brothers, so I was constantly being beat on. But, yeah, you know what's amazing? And this just shows you I have such poor self-awareness. <laughs> One is I don't realize I stand up all the time. <laughs> and two is I think, like, I'm eye level with DJ. Like, I, I didn't realize there's such a size discrepancy. Yeah. And then, you know, once a blue moon, someone would show me a picture and I'm saying, I didn't realize JJ's taller than me. I thought we're the same size. I didn't realize I was this little albino midget uh, yeah. that's uh, that's trying to coach. So you are you saying you're not self-aware enough to, to admit that you have a little Napoleonic complex? Well, now this is like <laughs> therapy. Uh, look, I have a lot of issues, and I don't I don't think you have enough time on your podcast <laughs> with it. Uh, Napoleonic, I don't know. I just I, I think I embrace the fact that um, I'm vertically challenged, all right. although maybe in somewhat of denial. Well, you're doing something right. 
uh, we were shorthanded this year, and we we still, as as the defensive coordinator, so to speak, uh, you know, we had a top five defense this year. So so clearly, you're doing something right from that standpoint. Obviously, you and I will talk more probably tomorrow. Uh, and uh, but obviously, for all of us, you know, we wish you luck uh, with this new endeavor, and uh, we appreciate the time you give us on the podcast. Thanks, man. Can I say one last thing? Oh, yeah, for sure. I don't want this, because your podcast has been on such a high, don't think like this is like, look, I'm the low point of the podcast, okay? It gets a whole lot better. JJ, this is charity work for JJ, and next podcast will be significantly better with an upgrade from the guest. It's a big name. This is, uh, this is a guy who led the New Jersey Nets to multiple NBA finals, all right? This is a big name, all right? Best of luck. <laughs> Thanks, so. It's the Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. Indochino is reinventing men's fashion. You can customize the details you want, pick your lining, lapels, personal monogram, and more. There's 14 unique measurements that go into making a suit that fits you perfectly. And you can't go wrong with the well-crafted 100% merino wool suit. Also, check out their made-to-measure dress shirts and men's accessories. Made-to-measure suits are now affordable and available to the masses thanks to Indochino. When you look good, you'll feel good, and you'll feel confident. Your look, your way. So here's the deal. The code is JJ, and there's a money-back guarantee. Today, my listeners get any premium suit for just $399. That's up to 50% off at Indochino.com when entering JJ at checkout. Plus, shipping is free. There's no reason not to try your first custom-made suit with a deal this good. And a suit classic from their premium collection will look good, feel good, and last. That's Indochino.com. Use the promo code JJ for any premium suit for just $399 and free shipping. Indochino, your look, your way. You're listening to the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. And now we are back. We are now going to be joined by Evan Turner. Evan, thanks for coming on the show. Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me, man. It's a busy day for you, connecting flights. You just landed in Santa Barbara. Uh, I saw you a couple weeks ago up at P3, a performance gym up there in, in Santa Barbara. I'm assuming you are going back to P3 right now and you're not going on vacation. Is that is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. I'm back at uh, P3 just trying to, get, trying to get some workouts in and you know uh, be like you a little bit, bro. Just get my <laughs> shot right in spot. I don't know that P3 is going to help you with that. No offense. Uh, is this the yeah, is this the first summer you've worked with P3? Yeah, it's my first time actually. I, I came, uh, you know, when you saw me, it was like my first week there. So it's pretty cool technology. I, uh, the workouts are pretty cool too. So it's definitely a great mixture of, uh, you know, routine and also just uh, relaxation of uh, Santa Barbara. Santa Barbara is an incredible place. I've already been up there yeah. twice this summer, uh, once for vacation and once, like I said, to go to P3. Uh, for any listener who, who's not familiar with P3, a lot of NBA players, professional athletes, college athletes are using it now. They they test you, they they assess you, and uh, and then they give you sort of a program um, to address and and strengthen your weaknesses. I'm gonna guess your your vertical jumping ability when they tested you was off the charts. <laughs> it was alright. It wasn't it, it wasn't too shabby. I kind of surprised myself, but uh, you know it, it was definitely uh definitely you know better than i thought it'd be which nba guy told you about p3 or is this coming from your agent because for me kyle corver has been trying to get me to go up to santa barbara for years and uh and i finally went up there this summer was there somebody that that pushed you up there 
Actually, my, my agent told me about it. Uh, I just switched agents, and uh, my agent, Kevin Brandberg, he spoke so highly of it. And, you know, I'm familiar, uh, you know, Joe Kim Noah, he worked out here. And I heard Kyle Corver kind of got everything started off. And, uh, you know, I just went to go check it out, and I was kind of pleased with the results. So, you know, like I said, that mixed in with the technology and the routines they have. And, you know, Santa Barbara, you know, it's not, you know, it's not a bad way, or, way to go for summer workouts. No doubt, man. It's a great place uh, to spend a few weeks during the summer. All right, I got this. We got to address this right away. You and I, and and Spencer Hall is involved in this too. But we we have this like ongoing joke about your favorite player of all time. <laughs> and <laughs> so let me just let me just say, a few years ago, uh, we were in Vegas for the summer meetings, and. You and Spencer were talking to my agent, who's also Spencer's agent, and uh, yeah. I like walked into the conversation. It was post meeting, and I was like, "Hey guys, what are you doing for dinner?" Blah blah blah, and I and I left. And then apparently, I met up with Spencer later. But apparently, when I left, he was like, "Dude, when you left, Evan was like starstruck, and he kept saying, dude, that's JJ Redick. That's JJ Redick." <laughs> You would come up to me like your rookie year during a game and be like, hey man, big fan. And I was like, Yeah, all right. Yeah, cool. Whatever, dude. Like that happens all the time. Is this is this a real thing? Or are you just gassing me a little bit? Oh no, no, it's actually real. So, you know, when I was a kid, when I grew up I was a North Carolina fan. But, you know, the two thousand one uh Duke team, you know, kinda converted me to be, you know what I'm saying, Duke fan growing up a little bit. So when you came into uh, you know, Duke and you were obviously doing everything you were doing. No, me and my me and my friends at school. One of my good friends, uh, Gary Lefferman, he uh, went to Brown to play ball. He like idolized you, and then like rubbed off on me a bit. So we always loved like the you know what I'm saying the senior year, the 28 points per game, the whole you know ridiculous you know what I'm saying uh, you know college career and stuff. But we always were fans from there. And then when you came up that one day, you know I told you like, hey, yeah, big fan from you know back in the Duke or whatever. He just walked up and you're talking to us normally. You know I was, I was a little bit younger, like man, that's freaking jj reddit that was like <laughs> you know what i'm saying my high school idol like you know what i'm saying uh, no, I no, admire, I, you know you I were get like it. a shooter and i wasn't that great of a shooter you know yeah no i get <laughs> so, it man so. it's just funny to me because like of all the players in the nba that you would be like oh my gosh it would be me you know I, it's like <laughs> no i definitely had a i mean obviously kobe and things like that but yeah, yeah every every guy every guy our age is like kobe kobe oh my gosh first yeah, time no, you yeah, play against him yeah, yeah you definitely want a few and I always you know when people you know spencer tries to make me like feel bad or you know <laughs> like, hey what you know okay jd's cool or whatever you know but i'm like well at least I'm sticking with the people I've been fans of back in the day. You, you meet some NBA guys, and whoever hits a Nike commercial, that's their favorite player. Like, you know what I'm saying? Right. So, I mean, I, I, I try to stick with the guys I, I grew up watching. You know what I'm saying? So, I, I definitely always appreciate your game growing up. You know what I'm saying? No, I, I appreciate that. And and in fairness to you, <laughs> like like Spencer, he, he has gassed this up quite a bit. Over yeah, the past well, three years, loves to uh, over exaggerate everything. Oh, he he's an antagonizer. <laughs> it's a fact. He's an antagonizer. So, the, yeah. it's it's a big time for you. Uh, we're going to talk about more serious things, but it's a big time for you right now. <laughs> NBA free agency starts tomorrow. This is most likely going to be one of the most exciting free agency periods ever. And last summer was pretty exciting. 2010 was pretty exciting. The NBA is now like a year-round sport in terms of the news cycle. Uh, maybe August is off, but this year the Olympics are happening, so probably not. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I would assume that you are probably really excited, maybe a little anxious, and 
hopefully going to be feeling some sense of relief over the next couple of days. Just describe your emotions right now. Yeah, yeah. Like you said, I'm definitely excited. You know, I'm kind of, you know, kind of sitting on the edge of my seat like everybody else. There's so many trades going on, and so much that could be done with the new salary cap and things like that. And uh, you know, the Kevin Durant thing kind of, you know, shakes up certain things for players in my position and things like that to see where he's going to go and things like that. So, you know, right now, I'm just, you know, I'm anxious, but it's in a great way, you know, and it's, it's, it's more fun as, you know, not only a player, but just as a fan of the game to see how everything's going to unravel and what teams are going to do what next year and myself where I will be at too. No, I think as a fan of the game, anybody who has a vested interest in the NBA will be watching closely over the next few days. I certainly will. You mentioned Kevin Durant. Is the way the system's set up right now, is it is it unfair to other free agents that they have to sort of wait on the big names? Do you think that's fair? I mean, I don't I technically don't, you know, fully have an opinion. I definitely copy because I have a I comprehend what it is, you know what I'm saying? Obviously Kevin Durant, you know, former MVP, you know, scoring champ, that you know, former scoring champ and everything like that. I understand uh why teams are throwing in, you know, everything in the bucket, you know, for him or whatnot and making guys wait. But at the same time, you know, they, they comprehend the risk. You know what I'm saying? Uh, some guys may not, you know, if they get a deal or whatnot, they may not wait on a team that, you know, is recruiting them. You know, like, for instance, Boston, I'm with the Celtics or whatnot, and, you know, they're also trying to get Kevin Durant. So when it comes down to it, if I somewhat get a better offer, a decent offer, I feel like that situation for me without hearing what Boston says, you know, that that's just a risk they're willing to take, you know? Yeah, no question. So you're saying that <laughs> if, because I think most players, and I've talked to a couple of my other friends around the league that are free agents this summer, and, and you, they've kind of echoed what you're saying, and that's, you know, I, I may not wait to see what all my options are if somebody presents me with a good option on day one, even if it's necessarily not necessarily my incumbent team, then I'm going to take that option. Yeah, absolutely. Because he, I don't know when Kevin said he was going to uh, announce where he's going and whatnot, but, you know, if he, if he pulls, you know, something where he waits three weeks in July and everything like that, you know what I'm <laughs> saying? That, you know, that that's not really ideal for what I would like to do. You know, you know where I'm coming from? So. No, I understand what you're saying. That's that hold-up league business, you know. I'm trying to get my escrow check at some point. (laughs) Right. You're not lying about that, yeah. So for you then, what what are the things that you're kind of looking for? You don't have to mention, like, teams or anything specifically, but I'm always curious to sort of ask guys this. Uh, One of the guys that, you know, I've talked to uh, in the NBA told me, he's an older player, and he's like, if a team gives me more years, that's going to be the tiebreaker. I want years on this contract. For you, is it is it your role? Is it fit? Because I know with Boston, you felt like you were going there, and it was a good fit, a good role. You took a little bit, uh, you know, less money on your last deal. So, what is what is the goal this time around? Yeah, I think once again, it's once again uh, all about you know the fit and the role that you're going to walk into, mixed in with uh, what the GM, what the coach, and things like that has in regards to winning. You know, I was part of. Uh, the rebuilding era of uh, the 76ers, you know what I'm saying, where they admitted they just wanted to tank. So, you know, I understand how crazy it is if you just go night in and night out just losing every single game. You know, I'm getting older and, you know, I'm only 27, but I would like to keep trying to contend for playoffs and trying to win something. You know, I'm a competitive uh, individual in that nature. But, uh, you know, obviously I would want security as well, financial and things like that, considering that I did, 
somewhat take a uh, somewhat of a pay cut the past few years. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, you know, you and I have sort of a similar uh, scenario that happened to us. Uh, your last year in Philly, my last year in Orlando. You know, both teams were sort of in that rebuild mode. We had been in the playoffs. The rebuild mode happened, so we're on a losing team. Then we got traded at the trade deadline. You went to Indiana. I went to Milwaukee. Uh, You know, it was was tough to get traded midseason and sort of try to fit in. And then we become free agents two months later. Do you, looking back, did you, do you think that trade hurt your market value as a free agent? No, absolutely. I I definitely think so. I think, I think it not only hurt my market value because obviously every team is going to uh, look for leverage on how they can, you know, somewhat lowball you in a certain sense. And And then at the same time, you know, just perception of things. You know, I thought I was, you know, before I left uh, Philly, I thought I was on my way on the up and up to become, a, you know, a premier wing and everything like that. And, you know, I got traded to Indiana, and, you know, my minutes got cut and everything. I had to somewhat work my way back up and earn a minute. You know, I got to Boston. You know where I'm coming from? And, you know, no matter what they, they try to say, like myself and yourself, whether they say he can't do this or he can't do that, we were still being used 30 minutes a game down crunch time. You know what I'm saying? Right. And uh, <laughs> so, so when it comes down to it, like, I, I definitely comprehend for that month period, that two-month period where you guys can use the leverage, but at the same time, when it comes to winning, it comes to things that ma- matter, you know, sometimes you look back on things and you're like, hey, this doesn't really add up to it, right. you know? I know exactly what you're saying, and yeah. it, it seems to me that you are you are much better positioned, uh, you know, given the last couple years in Boston and how you finished the season this year, and also that you were on a winning team and a team that was in the playoffs. Um, I want to ask you about your time in Boston. Um, by all accounts, uh, you know, I, I'm an avid reader of Hoopsite. By all accounts, it seems like that was a very positive experience. And it was a, I, you know, although maybe you had to take a step back in terms of, you know, your role, it seemed like it was a step forward in your career and your development. And I'm wondering if that's accurate. No, that's, that's definitely most, you know, 100% accurate. Uh, I think, you know, I had some of the most fun I had playing basketball since I hit the NBA. Um, we had a great locker room. I think Boston was definitely a first-class organization, and Brad Stevens definitely did a lot for uh, my career and my maturity. Uh, I think at one point going to Boston after everything happened, the trade deadline and, you know, uh, also, you know, not being sure where I could sign to and things like that, I, I wasn't even sure if I wanted to, you know, continue playing. You know where I'm coming from? Yeah. And then... Boston kind of brought back, you know, the, the excitement for me. You know what I'm saying? Playing at the Garden every night was crazy. You know, as opposed to where I played in the past, you might show up and fans just might boo you or root for the other team, you know? And uh, it, it, that whole two years in Boston was magical and it definitely helped me a lot in regards to being a professional and a, a person and, you know, kind of adapting to um, the bigger picture situations that you need to have in, in regards to being in the NBA. So it's definitely been positive for me. It's definitely revamped my career and definitely put me in position I am now to look forward to, to July. I get the sort of rediscovering your your joy and love of the game and, and the a great locker room and playing for a great coach and how all those things can sort of affect your play on the court. I'm curious, though, if you know there was a, a sense of burden being the number two pick in Philadelphia and if that had to do at all with sort of that mindset, and, and, and if there wasn't that burden in Boston, it was that a sort of a positive in terms of your your growth? 
I, I think I think it's a little bit of uh, both. You know, I was decided to be the number two pick and, and things like that, and I was decided to yeah, play on those first two teams and learn how one of my great friends, uh, Andre Iguodala, and things like that. There's a lot that comes with being number two pick, and, you know, I think uh, Andre also recognizes, too, with, with the publicity and attention you get. Uh, you know, Philadelphia's a tough city. So, you know, when, when it came down to certain things and, and, and things like that, it, I think uh, sometimes it was always aired on the side of being negative as opposed to being positive, you know? And uh, like uh, Chauncey Billups said, the NBA is all about perception. And, um, yeah. you know, when you're growing up and you go from being just in college and being sheltered to going into the pro sport life and everybody can kind of, you know, pick at you or do whatever, you have to be uh, strong enough to kind of block it out. So, you know, when it, when it came down to it, just, you know, it's just my last couple of years of Philly were just dark days. I, 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 the negativity and stuff like that wasn't something I was really used to. And, you know, you, you get traded from there. And then, uh, you, you know, you go to Indiana and things don't work out the way it's supposed to go. You know, it's kind of tough, you know, a tough couple of years. And considering the fact that, you know, I would wake up at 6 a.m. every off season and work out till noon, you know what I'm saying? So the add up of it was, was kind, of, kind of leaving me to under, try to comprehend you know, where do I go from here or how do I, how can I switch up and change things and stuff and, you know, trying to figure out what, what I could do differently to, you know, kind of have a positive response. But the, the number two pick never really did anything for me in regards to my, my mind. I just think more people remember it than I do. You know what I'm saying? Like, even when I do things nowadays, like the former number two pick and it's like, all right, cool. That was six years ago. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think sometimes people try to judge that or, you know, try to, uh, somewhat, you know, once again, uh, compare me to whatever, but I, I just want to be compared to who I was and how I'm progressing each year, you know? I think the number two pick often overshadows the things I've accomplished and things I've overcome. I think that's really fair, and I, I think that's a really, like, honestly, it's a really healthy mindset to have um, yeah. because there is, the, you know, when you're a top pick, especially if you're, you know, one, two, or three, there is an extra layer of expectation that comes with that and uh and an extra layer of scrutiny if whether it's right or wrong you don't live up to other people's expectations and and we all know if you're a sports fan you know Philly's Philly's a tough sports town it yeah, is. You're not uh, they have great yeah, fans uh they have a great media but it can be tough at times there's there's no question I'm I'm I want to ask you though then if you never really saw yourself in terms of having that burden of a number two pick you're going into this free agency period. What do you view yourself as as a player now? Like, what's your view on yourself? Like, do you think you can be a superstar? Do you think you could be an all star? Do you think? Oh no, I'm I'm a great rotate. Like, where where does where does that stand? Uh, I I think when people break things down, stuff like that, I just think of myself as just being, you know, all around impactful basketball player. I, I think like once again, I don't say this knocking anybody or anything like that, but that. The NBA is such, so perception-based and so perception-driven and things like that. It's like, uh, in my opinion, certain things and certain accolades that come along with, like, whether it be an all-star or superstar or, you know, things like that, is buzz. You know what I'm saying? So a lot of times, like you, like you and I both know, some people ask me, yo, is this dude hard to guard or this guy this good or that good? And it's like, they're okay, but there's tons of guys out there that don't get enough credit as they should. You know, you know where I'm coming from? So where I where I focus on myself is I think I can be an uh, impactful all around player that can fill a stat sheet and you know damn near go for a triple double every night. So 
whether that means, you know what I'm saying, yeah. all-star all or whatnot or a six-man candidate or whatever that is, I, I just see myself as headed towards being a great basketball player that, that can positively impact the game and uh, help you win, you know. You're listening to The Vertical Podcast with J.J. Reddick. How would you like to get three home-cooked meals for free? Well, all you have to do is remember these two letters, J-J. That's easy enough, right? Now keep listening, and I'll tell you how to get those free meals. Look, we all know there's nothing better than a great home-cooked meal, and no one makes it easier for you to do that than Blue Apron. Their mission is to make incredible home cooking accessible to everyone. Blue Apron knows that when you cook with incredible ingredients, you make incredible meals. So they set the highest quality standards for their suppliers and only bring you the best ingredients, all right to your door. Now comes that part about the three free meals I was telling you about. Check out this week's menu and get your first three meals free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash JJ. Think about it. That's three meals for free just by adding my name. Once again, that's blueapron.com slash JJ. Blue Apron, a better way to cook. All right, let's get back to Evan. I know this for anyone listening to this podcast and, and hearing you talk for the first time. I, I think it's apparent that you're wired a little bit differently and the sort of adverse to labels, which is pretty awesome. But I'm yeah. going to give you a label right now, and we're going to do this week's four on four. I'm going to call you quirky. Spencer Spencer <laughs> used some other words to label you, but I'm going to call you quirky, okay? That's all I'm going to say. That's, I think you're a quirky guy, all right? So for this week's four on four, so at the end of every podcast, we do four things, you know, whatever. It could be random. I, I could ask you, you know, four implications of, uh, you know, Great Britain leaving the Eurozone, but I'm not going to ask you that. This week's four on four is going to be four weird things about Evan Turner. And I'm going to give you one. You can correct me. We don't have to use this for one, but I'm going to give you one. Pitch Perfect is your favorite movie. <laughs> it's, it's, I, I definitely enjoy uh, definitely enjoy Pitch Perfect. Uh, I think like my second year in the league, me and Drew, how they were, were obsessed with it. And Spencer probably told you this because whenever me and Drew had something going on, Spencer always wanted to hop in and, and be involved in it. But Spencer also probably didn't tell you he bought the soundtrack. So Oh man. It's, <laughs> it's one of my favorite movies of like two thousand twelve. But like my okay. favorite movie ever is probably like Eight Mile. Okay, Eight Mile. Alright, so that's one that's one weird I don't necessarily think that's a weird thing, but that's one thing people may not know about mm-hmm. Evan Turner that Eight Miles is favorite movie. I need three more though. Yeah. Um let me see. Uh people don't know, I always I keep buying guitars. So I always wanted to like uh, learn to play the acoustic guitar, like uh, John Mayer. That's a pretty low key thing. I don't think people know. Uh, Wait, hold on a second. Hold on a second. <laughs> Back up for a second. You keep on buying acoustic guitars. Like how many guitars do you have now? I have like three, and I, I plan on learning, <laughs> and then I'll go for like a few weeks, and then the summertime just hits, and I'm busy working out. You know what I'm okay. saying? And then uh, <laughs> that's all I can really think of. Spencer told me that you have an interesting taste in music. Is this accurate? Yeah, no, I listen to everything. Like, what is everything? Like trap music or Diplo or alt rock? Like, what is everything? No, I don't do EDM. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, I, I, I listen to everything. I don't listen to trap as much as I do old old school hip hop. But, you know, I, like I said, I like John Mayer. I was a decent fan of, you know, growing up. You know, back in the pop music stages, you know, Justin Timberlake had a great album back in the day. You know, one of my favorite rappers ever is like, common and we pay like you know what i'm saying 
And you got to listen to tons of different stuff, you know, Adele, all that stuff. Okay. I, I, that's fine. Do, are you a Taylor Swift fan? I don't know why I just thought of this, but Taylor oh, Swift no, to me no. is like, no, that's no, my guilty pleasure. Good, I don't know what it is. Yeah, no, she made a couple of good songs. So no, I, I never went out and bought one of her out. So <laughs> I, haven't, I can't say I have. No. All right, I'm gonna let you off the hook easy this time. You don't have to give me yeah, a fourth one. I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm weird. Maybe you're uh, not as quirky as we thought you were. Yeah, That's I can't it. really think of anything off the top of my head. But I mean, if you're around, maybe we'll we'll figure it out. But yeah, I all can't right. Really, well, if you think of something, text me later. Uh, I'll probably see you at some point this summer up in Santa Barbara. For all of us listeners, myself included. Uh, best of luck in free agency. Uh, I hope you get an awesome deal. I told you that a couple weeks ago, but I really do. You deserve Thanks, it. Sir, Jack. All right, man. Appreciate you, bro, man. Be safe. Always. Appreciate you, bud. All right. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vertical Podcast with JJ Reddick. I'd like to thank today's guests, Lawrence Frank and Evan Turner. Remember to subscribe and listen to new and archived episodes wherever you listen to the podcast. Please tweet me at JJ Reddick for any questions and comments. I'd also like to thank our sponsors, SoFi, Indochino, and Blue Apron. Be sure to support them the way they support us. We'll catch you next week. This has been a digital media production. Find your voice.